So as Jill has said various times this morning, at the moment, but only until today, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments, and we've done that through January and February. There were three main questions we were looking at, and hopefully each time we've met, we've thought about these questions and thought, oh yeah, what are they? So nearly every week we've said, oh, this is a commandment, this is what's going on, this is what uh, we read about. So we've thought about that. Hopefully you can tick that in your mind, you know what all the Ten Commandments are, at least. Are they relevant for today? Hopefully you've all thought, yes, John, as Jill says. Because, yes, they are relevant today. They're not just from thousands of years ago for that society. They are definitely still relevant for today. We need to know what they are and obey them. Is God still speaking now? He spoke in the Bible. Is God still speaking now? Yes, yes he certainly is. And that's what we've been saying, not just every week during this series, but every week for years and years and years. Because any church would be saying, God is still speaking now because God is alive and God is doing great things. So what are these Ten Commandments? I'm, I know you want to tell me what they are. I can just see it. You're just saying, oh, go on, let me say what number one is. Here they are. Do you remember them all? Some weeks we haven't sort of taken one, but we've given general thoughts over several. But they're what they are, and they're from Exodus 20. And, of course, there are the verses, so you can look at them at home and decide for yourself. You can read it and not just take my word for it or anyone else who stands at the front. Number nine, we're looking at it today, and it says, you shall not lie. And hopefully, for the next 20 minutes or so, and then we'll have a conclusion after that, we'll talk about lying and what it means. Um, how it affects others, and how it affects yourself as well, perhaps. So, for today, tell the truth. That's what we're going to be thinking about. There's only a one-verse reading. That's why I didn't get anyone to do it today. So, you can open the Bible at there, or Exodus 20, whatever you like. Just have it handy so you can read it. But Psalm 106, verse 20, I'll be reading in a little while. So, tell the truth. That's what today is all about. But, because it's the last one of the series... We're also going to be saying, what have you learned recently? And perhaps even more importantly, have you changed any actions in your life as well? Exodus 20, verse 16. The Hebrew word for not telling lies, not uh, having falsehood and things, is falsehood, especially in courts. We'll have a list of different versions of Hebrew, of uh, Exodus 20, verse 16 in a moment. Without cause, untruth, wrongful, deception, disappointment. God is saying, don't have any of that. But like I say, originally, it was all about courts, when people would go and sort of argue against each other. When you went to court, whether it was in front of Moses or one of his other people that he'd given authority to, don't lie about your brother or sister or someone you know. Tell the truth. So, in the International Children's Bible, you must not tell lies about your neighbour. Then other versions say something a bit broader. So it's not just in court when you're before a judge, but don't tell lies. In the Living Bible, 
It just says as plainly and as boldly as that, you must not lie. I wonder how you treat other people. What do you do with the reputation of other people? Because I find that I can talk about other people ever so easily to their face. And when they're not with me as well, I can talk about them. And hopefully my idea is I want to sort of say, oh, they're great people. Do you know what uh, someone did, Paul did this week, or what Alex did or something? That was really encouraging to me, and I want to tell you about it. Because that's what we're here for, isn't it? Not to say they shouldn't have done that. If you've got something against your brother or sister, it's Jesus said, go and tell them. Go and speak to them about it, rather than just spreading things about them. So how do you represent people? How do you talk about other people? Are you lying? Are you doing other things about them? Or are you telling the truth? Are you being upright? When I hear people tell lies, and it's often easy to spot when people are telling lies, like when people come to me to learn the piano, because that's what I do during the week as well, it's ever so easy when people say, oh, I've practised. It's just so easy. Like, why did you even say I've practiced, because it's just so obvious, maybe for five minutes before you came to see me, you practiced, because you thought, oh, I'm going to see John, I must practice. But five minutes in a week isn't practicing. That's, and so I have a gentle, diplomatic conversation with them. But some children think practicing five minutes before they come to see me is okay. It's not. And so I gently tell them what they need to do. And they then tell me the next week, I've practiced. And it's obvious that they haven't, because it takes a while to change, doesn't it? We know that. I think exaggerating is a form of lying. Sometimes people, with their age, they exaggerate. Especially stars. People, okay, famous people, are they saying they're older than they are or they're younger than they are? They exaggerate about their age. Sometimes things are cheaper, hotter, better, uh, colder, smaller than they really are. For example, when you've been on holiday, you might say, oh, that was the best holiday ever. We had a, such a great time. You might say that, might you? And maybe it's true. You might, if you enjoy cooking, saying, that was the tastiest meal I've ever had it was so lovely. I enjoyed it so much. And the main ingredient was Marmite. And it was brilliant. Thank you very much, you'd say to yourself. Sometimes you might say that this was the biggest one ever that I caught. What do you think? Have you ever said anything like that, Paul? No, never. Oh, that's brilliant. It's good to have someone who doesn't exaggerate that really they caught this size fish and they say it's this size fish, isn't it? Do you know it's ever so easy to exaggerate? I could tell you in all sorts of ways about myself, but at the same time, it wouldn't be direct and honest, maybe. Like, if I told you I'm just a little bit over 45 years and 122 months old, it's true, but it's not very honest and direct, is it? And when, when politicians 
measure things. They put the things out in their measurement to make themselves look good, to make themselves look the best, and to make themselves look like everything is fine with their policies. They're not always fine, are they? But they use measurements to help them and to make it so that they can do things and they get people voting for them. We shouldn't do that with measurements. You know I like keeping things. This is about 100 years old. What? It's about 100 years old. My dad's dad was a draftsman. And so this is the ruler he used in the 1920s. My dad gave it me a year ago. I'm treating it very carefully because it's important. So my granddad was a draftsman. And so measurements were very important. They didn't have nonsense like computers and that. He had this. He had a pencil that he'd sharpen. And he had to measure very carefully in all the different jobs he had. He even had a job in the 1950s, because he was doing this in the 1920s. But in the 1950s, he worked at the King's Lodge. But it was called the Lindley Lodge then. And he worked there, and he lived in Tamworth, so he didn't have a car, he couldn't drive, so he'd ride on his bike from Tamworth to Nuneaton and then back home again at night with his ruler. Because this was really important, to measure correctly, to be accurate in what he was using, and it's the same in our lives. We can't just be good at measuring because it's in our job or whatever we're doing. In our character, we need to be good at measuring and be truthful in the way we measure things as well. The Word of God gives us a great measurement on life. We know through reading the Bible how to measure our lives what life is all about. We're saying that today is the end of a particular series. In April and May, we're going to be looking at doxology. And it's all about worshipping God. We're going to look at different versions of the Bible, different doxologies in the Bible. And we're going to be saying, how, where, why, what with do we worship God? The thing I've found out in my life is we're here to worship God. That's the chief aim of our lives, the chief end of mankind, worship God. And so when we sort of worship God, it's plain sailing because we're giving everything to God and saying, Lord, I love you. Tomorrow, it's going to be one year since something started. Any ideas? I'll give you a clue. The refocus meeting, the fourth Sunday of the month, a year ago tomorrow, was the first meeting. It's a time when any of us, all of us, if you like, can come and worship God and give. Because it's not led from the front. It's a horseshoe shape of chairs in the evening when people can bring a passage of the Bible they've just been reading and find really good, bring a word of wisdom or word of knowledge or say, oh, can we sing this song? Or, or just pray out loud because it's a smaller group of people. So it's far easier if you get a bit nervous about those sort of things just to pray out loud, to bring a song or something like that. So I'd encourage you, Come to a refocus meeting, fourth Sunday of every month. That's this evening from five o'clock till six o'clock. And it's going to help us to worship God. 
because I was talking about exaggerating and measuring, we do not need to exaggerate what God can do. What a nonsense that would be, because God can do everything. We didn't need to say, oh, he did this for me, and try and make it bigger, because God isn't glorified by his exaggerating. God is glorified when we tell other people what really God is doing. But as we learn to know about God, we need to believe what God is saying, to believe what he says he can do. So, this morning we're not just saying, tell the truth, we're also saying, believe the truth. Believe what it says in the Bible. As you read what God has done, his provision for us, his love and miracles and and things that happen that we can't explain, we can still say, Lord, I know you're alive. You've done those things in the Bible. We've heard of your fame. Renew them in our day. Let your mercy be known to other people. So we want to believe the truth. I don't know if you've read many Psalms. Probably you've read them all. And some of them are just sort of, they could have been written at any time. But this Psalm 106 was written after a major incident in the life of the Israelites. God had brought them out of Egypt. And so now the psalmist was saying, this is brilliant, this is marvellous. You brought us out of Egypt and you've set us free. And that's what Psalm 106 is all about. To give us an idea of a part of that psalm, Psalm 106, uh, verses 19 to 22, in the international version, New International Version, says this. They exchanged their glorious God for an image of a bull which eats grass. They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt. What I like about the Bible is it's not fairy tales. It's not just a bit of myth. And we sort of have to use our faith because it's unbelievable. The Bible tells us truly what has happened in the past and who God is. So they exchanged their view of God for something that didn't even go moo. Because it wasn't even a cow. It was dead. It was a statue. And yet they worshipped this statue instead of worshipping the living God. The Hebrew word means to move to and fro, to barter, to remove from one thing and put something else in its place. In the Living Bible, it says this, For they preferred a statue of an ox that eats grass to the glorious presence of God himself. Thus they despised their saviour, who had done such mighty miracles in Egypt and at the Red Sea. We don't need to have watched Hollywood films from the 1950s to know what the Red Sea was all about, how God caused the Red Sea to just separate and and the dry ground to occur, and then for the Israelites to walk through. And then all the Egyptians, the army, the Pharaoh, and all those people chasing the Israelites to bring them back to captivity, how the waters went and killed them because God was in charge. God had done mighty things to bring the Israelites out. And God continues to do mighty things 
in our time. But it wasn't just the Israelites who exchanged one thing that was true and beautiful and wonderful for something that was stupid and worthless. It was happening in, when Paul the Apostle was alive as well. Because you might be familiar with the word exchange in Romans chapter 1. I'll read it to you. This is Romans 1, 20 to 23. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, of the, the glory of the immortal God, for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Does that seem familiar to you even today? That people don't say how marvellous and brilliant and strong and loving and kind God is. They just do something in their lives and follow other things in their lives that are easier, that are nicer. Well, not really. I'm just rewinding that. That are easier. Let's go with that. They're easier. They're not nicer, not at all. They're easier for them in their lives. The Greek word for exchanging is to change, to alter, to cause one thing to cease and another to take its place. People are still exchanging God and truth for their own ideas. They want to look after themselves. They're number one. doesn't matter about anyone else. Other people agree with them because it's easier. I bet, if you're like me, you go into a shop and you're not happy with the price that it says. I'd like a discount, please. Oh, could you uh, do this, especially on a market or something, or when you're on holiday or something and you get into the gist of uh, bartering and things? I don't want to... That, that seems too high a price. Uh, I'd like to go a little bit lower. I, I do it quite often with uh, utilities, and, and my dad rings me up very often. I get it from my dad. He rings me up every couple of months and says, oh, I've rung Virgin up or the gas company, and they've given me £5 off a month. And we say, yay, that's great. Do you know when you've got something, maybe someone gives you a present and you don't like it, you can have a gift receipt and you can take it back and exchange it for something else. Or if you bought a tin of paint and you think, when you get it home, oh, that's not right. No, I'll go back and exchange it. We're used to exchanging things in this country. It's become the normal thing to do. We exchange God and truth for other things at our peril. It's not right. We shouldn't exchange God for our own ideas because our ideas might be pretty good, but they're not God's ideas. We need God's ideas. And then perhaps people will start to follow us and say, oh yeah, let's put God first. Let's do what he says, because obviously he's in the right. So 
So it's our eighth and last talk we're thinking about the Ten Commandments. And as always, you know, all the prayers of the day, all the sort of songs of the day, the different sort of things, the scripts of what I say and other people say, it's always on the website by Monday, so you can always go and have a look at it again. But what have we been saying over the last few weeks? For the first three weeks, for week one, we were saying that God does speak today. And then when Nick was speaking, he told us about who is God and entering into a covenant with God. Then the next two weeks, we're saying, yeah, we're following the Sabbath. It's an extra day, so we can have an extra helping of God in our lives, really focusing on him. Then the following week, going into February, we were saying about honouring other people and saying it's not for ourselves that we live, but we honour, we include, we love other people. Then on the following week, we're saying, yes, we're going to love life. It's not murdering. It's even sort of, we're saying not many people would want to murder others, but with our words and our actions, we can murder other people. So loving life means encouraging and loving other people. You have plenty. We're saying, yeah, we've got so much. Why do we, why do we want to covet what other people have when we've got plenty ourselves? And then today, we're briefly thinking about exaggerating and telling the truth, people's reputations, and, and living our lives so that other people are honoured and not pulled down by our words and our actions. So here they all are. And do you remember what it was all about? The ten suggestions. Oh, I do love God when he just gives us the choice to do things if we feel it's a good idea. It's not the ten suggestions, is it? We haven't been saying, God is suggesting this. If you want to do it, if it feels good to you, go for it. Never, ever have we said that. The ten commandments are all about making a choice. Saying, God, in my life, I'm not just going to amble about, and if something happens, that's great, that's brilliant. I'm going to choose every day to follow God. I'm going to choose every day, if someone annoys me, to not reciprocate, but to give love and encouragement back instead. I'm going to encourage people, if they exaggerate, not to do the same and exaggerate back, but to speak the truth and to say what's going on. God measures our lives. When we die... It's God who will judge everyone. He measures us according to his standards. And it's up to us to know what those standards are and say, Lord, I want to follow you. So that's where the Ten Commandments are. Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5. And when you're at home, I'd encourage you, read them, have a think about them. Sort of think about each one and pray it through and say, Lord, we've heard things on a Sunday morning recently over the last few weeks, but God, I want to know what you're saying. What extra things do you want me to know about? Because I know that the Ten Commandments aren't to tie us down and make us shrink from who we should be, but it's to open our eyes so that we can reach the potential of what God wants us to be 
it's there so we worship God more because of who he is and what he's done for us, how he's provided for us. But there's this verse at the end, Deuteronomy 5, 32 and 33, that I'm going to read. Because this kind of summarizes what they're all for. So this is Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 32 and 33. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. So that's the challenge of the Ten Commandments. Don't go to the right. Don't go to the left of what they're saying. Don't stretch what they are to make it comfortable and easy for you. Don't exchange what God is, who God is, and what he has said for something easier to do. When God says, come to me, wear the yoke, be right by me. You're my apprentice. You're my disciple. Do what I ask you to do. Learn from me, because I'm gentle and kind, and I'll give you a good life. Even though we know, we've said many times that sometimes we walk through troubled waters, through the valley of the shadow of death even, and we say, Lord, where are you? Life is hard. But sometimes, even when that happens, we have to say, I know, Lord, that life is hard and difficult, but I still want to trust you. I still want to do what you command because it's you who made the earth. It's you who's made me. And I just want to go back into worshipping you on my knees or whatever it might be when I'm at home and saying, Lord, I give you everything. Help me to follow those Ten Commandments and do what you say. So I'm going to pray. And then Jill's going to lead us in response to all of this, just reminding us what the Ten Commandments are and how the Lord still says these are relevant, these are needed, these are useful for us, not just on a Sunday morning, but for every day of our lives. So Lord, we do thank you for your word. Your word is living and active. So will you stir something in our hearts, Lord, about what we've been hearing either today or the last few weeks? Will you stir something so that you will be glorified in our lives? Lord, we are sorry when we've had our habits and have been thinking they're fine. But Lord, as you speak to us and encourage us to keep on changing, to keep on being holy as you are holy, to turn neither to the left or the right, but to keep in pace with you, help us, Lord, to be changed and to know you better because of us putting our trust in you and our hope in you, Lord. Amen.